Welcome to the Good Athlete Podcast, the voice of the Good Athlete Project. Too often, injuries in athletics come not as a result of overtraining, but as a result of under-resting. Everything in the body is a process of stress and recover, and for whatever reason, I think it may be because we've romanticized the idea of the grind, we've neglected the rest component, so we push, 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 and never stop. That's why today we brought to you Dr. Amy Bender. Dr. Bender is a Midex postdoctoral research fellow at the University of Calgary. Uh, she also works with the Center for Sleep and Human Performance. Uh, She earned her PhD in experimental psychology from Washington State University, and she specialized in sleep EEG. Her current research focuses on the relationship of sleep and recovery to athletic performance, uh, working with the Canadian national team athletes. She is an incredible athlete herself. In 2014, she was inducted in the Spokane Women's Basketball Hall of Fame and competed in Ironman in 2009. Sleep might be one of the most core building blocks to improved athletic performance. Uh, We think you're really going to enjoy the conversation with Dr. Amy Bender. I grew up as an athlete pretty much um, my whole life from the beginning. So I I grew up with four brothers and was a bit of a tomboy and just played sports from the beginning. So I was a three sport high school athlete, then ended up focusing on basketball. And so I played college basketball, um, starting at the community college level and then transferring to California state university, San Bernardino, which is a division two school and ended up being inducted into the community colleges hall of fame, uh, for basketball. And then uh, after college, I got into mountaineering a little bit. So I summited a number of volcanoes in the Pacific Northwest and then also did an Ironman in 2009. Wow. So that's impressive. So, yeah, I have uh, <laughs> I have a bit of a athletic background. And then so so obviously sports was one of my passions. And so combined finding that with sleep and being able to help athletes get more sleep and then hope, which will hopefully lead to better performance and in general, better health for athletes. Absolutely. Did, um, did being a mom factor into your newfound appreciation for sleep in any way? <laughs> that, that is, and I, I say that that is, so I'm, that has come up in conversations. I'm not kidding. Maybe it's just the timing of the weekend, but that has probably come up in conversations in my life the, like 30 times. Just what havoc children might wreak on your uh, on one's sleep cycle. Certainly. So I'm experiencing that right now, actually. So I have a three-month-old son. Congratulations. Um, I also have – thank you. And I have a three-year-old daughter and a son, an older son who's about to turn five. So – it's been a long time since I got a really good night's sleep. <laughs> um, but I try and I try and you know, I'm up at least one time during the night, which that's a good night. Uh usually it can be, you know, two to three times per night. And so I definitely take naps. I take naps. I nap probably five times during the week. 
um, to try and make up for some of that lost sleep at night, which can be helpful for athletes as well, uh, is what we recommend. And then just trying to avoid the blue light um, when I am up. I, I It's kind of funny. I'm, I'm actually keeping track of my son's sleep at this point, uh, being the nerdy scientist that I am. And um, so I'm wearing the blue light blocking glasses if I'm exposed to blue light at night. Um, and I'm just interested in looking at his sleeping patterns from the beginning and kind of see how that changes. And he's three months right now. So I'm still, um, I might have another month in me to kind of track his sleep. Right, right. Exactly. Will you tell us? I I I love this. Blue light is um, has been all over this research, at least in the last I don't know five years or so, probably more. But can you tell our listeners um, what exactly that might be, and, and and how they can avoid it? Sure. So blue. So we're most sensitive to the blue light wavelength frequency. So um, so for example, from our electronic devices the the biggest frequency coming out of there is blue light, the biggest wavelength. Um, and so what it does is it basically tells our brain to wake up. So it sends a signal to our brain to wake up, and then it, it ends up reducing our melatonin, which is the sleepiness hormone that makes us sleepy and helps our sleep quality at night. So, so when you're looking at um, going to sleep, you know, on the three hours before bedtime, you want to try and mitigate some of that blue light as much as you can. So um, turning down your lights at night. So there's also blue light in our overhead lights. Um, so turning down lights at night, dimming, dimming the lights as much as you can at night, and then avoiding those electronics because it's going to impact your sleep quality ultimately if you're using that right before bed and, and not to mention the arousal factor as well. So the content that you're reading or looking at can be arousing as well. So establishing a good um, bedtime routine is important. Yeah, no question. And it's, it's funny you say that we work, I'd say primarily with high school and college athletes, primarily high school. And there's no doubt in my mind that the last hour of every day probably is spent, um, in front of a screen, you know, whether it's laying in bed or, mm -hmm. or, um, or heading off to bed or whatever. So, yeah, certainly, um, it's hard to balance. Um, if you're a college athlete, I know myself because I played college basketball, but it's certainly hard to balance, um, work, schoolwork, social, and then also, you know, your training as well. And so, from my perspective, the research that we've looked at at the Center for Sleep, we've found that a lot of the Olympic athletes, they they will use electronics within an hour before bedtime. So, so looking at our research, about 90% um, use electronics within an hour before bedtime. So it's really hard to break that habit. So I think one tip that someone could use is to wear blue blocking glasses blue light blocking glasses. And those are the orange colored, orange tinted glasses. And there's actually been good research showing that it helps um, kind of maintain our melatonin. So our melatonin profile changes a little bit, but overall 
if you're going to use electronics before bed, right before bed, having these blue light blocking glasses is, is important to, to help with that. I, I think if I'm not mistaken, there's a setting on one's phone that can, that can either shut off or at least turn down the blue light once the sun has set in one's region. Exactly. Night so, shift. yeah. So, num- so number one, so on iPhone, there's the night shift mode on Android. There's other versions of it. So on my particular phone, um, I have a galaxy S six or whatever. Um, there's a setting where you can reduce the blue light during certain times of day. So definitely those are the minimum that you want to have. So you want to have these blue light filters. There's also apps called, we're using Flux technology. So it's F dot L-U-X. So you can download apps such as uh, Twilight is one where it automatically reduces the light, the blue light according to your sunset. Um, so those are important, but it's not just about the blue light per se, but it can also be about the brightness. So if you have your screen up all the way on the highest setting for brightness, but the blue light's being filtered out, that can still impact your melatonin. So keep that in mind with brightness as well. Um, but I think the blue blocking glasses, and they're, they are super cheap. You can get them on Amazon for probably $10. Um, have have an additional layer of protection. And so there was just recently a study that came out showing that um, blue light blocking glasses helped in people with insomnia. So um, certainly, and it's a cheap and easy way, you know, it's the number one thing we would recommend is to put your devices away an hour before bed. However, people don't really do that. So having, yeah, having that, that added protection from the blue light is helpful. Totally. Yeah, no, no, that's a good point. And, um, the truth is, um, we ask this question a lot of ourselves in, in, in the lessons we're trying to transfer. And that is, do you want to be right or do you want to be successful? And I think the right answer is put the darn thing away. But the truth is there are people are on it. So how do we like, you use the word mitigate? I think that's, that's right. How do we, how do we make it not quite so bad? And it sounds like the glasses might be um, might be the angle. Um, I think everyone can benefit mm-hmm. from that. What I'm interested now, I guess, is hearing uh, when you were en route to a Hall of Fame basketball career and competing in Ironman competitions, um, were you on it in terms of sleep at that point? Or is that something that you figure out along the way? Like where did the sleep focus come in in terms of your own athletic preparation? That's a very interesting question. Um, growing, you know, in high school and in college. So I, I graduated high school in 1998. So this was a while back. Um, sleep wasn't as important as it is now. So there hasn't been as much research focusing on athletes and performance back then as there is now. So back then, I remember my college coach telling me, get a good night's sleep, make sure, you know, make sure you're getting eight hours of sleep per night. Um, but not really explaining why, you know, we would have nutritionists come in talking about the importance of of good nutrition and, you know, obviously training was important at that point, but no one ever really focused on why sleep was important for athletes. They would just kind of give us a blanket 
statement, oh, get eight hours, make sure you're getting a good night's sleep. Um, and that was that was about it. And then even during my Ironman, um, just at that point, I started to work in a sleep laboratory. And so I started to become aware of how important it was for recovery. And um, but knowing what I know now, I would do things way differently um, with my training. I would incorporate naps. Um, I would really focus on trying to get a, a good night's sleep and get sufficient sleep if I was training. Totally. I mean, there's no question, and I'm glad that people like you are doing this work, like there's no question that sleep, rest in its most essential form is an absolutely integral component to one's athletic body of work. You just cannot be good without it, at least not as good as you otherwise would have been. And there's no fudging the science in that way. Um, which, and, and when you mentioned the, re, the recovery aspect, what are, for the people who aren't fully versed, what are the distances in Ironman? Because I think, I mean, recovery in the training from the, you know, it's huge, that kind of stress. Let's see. <laughs> um, that was, so that was in 2009. So that was eight years ago. Um, so it was a two point four mile swim can we look that up i'm looking it up right now so it's you're right it's 2.4 mile swim uh 112 mile bike yep and then uh and then a marathon and then a marathon unbelievable so the training for that i imagine is what what did you work up to in your training um and putting yourself under that kind of stress what kind of uh how did your recovery adjust if at all Mm mm-hmm so Certainly, I remember after the event itself that I literally slept for a week straight of 10 hours every night. So um, that just the event itself, it's so such a challenging event that um, my body just needed that amount of sleep to recover. During the training itself, um, I would I would sleep more on more of a bigger, bigger day. Um, but not anything out of the ordinary. And at that time I was working full time as well. So I didn't, I didn't really have the opportunity to nap. Um, but, but I think that would have added to the recovery aspects as well. What is the, um, in terms of recovery, um, where we talk about napping, you're right. It's hard to kind of steal away if, especially for people in the working world. Um, what is a sufficient nap? You know, I've, there's plenty out there. And, and from my own experience, like, you know, every now and then you'll, you'll lay down, we call it an untimed down, no alarm, no nothing on the weekend. And maybe you wake up an hour into a nap and you're groggy versus, you know, the 20 minute power nap sort of idea, which one is more beneficial for recovery? How would you recommend adding mm-hmm. naps to a busy life? So for athletes getting sufficient amount of sleep per night, um, which we haven't really, we haven't talked about that yet, but so for a normal human or a normal adult, we need about seven to nine hours of sleep per night. And for athletes, we think even more. So I know some of your, your audience are adolescent athletes and adolescents need more as well. So between eight and 10. And then when you add in the, the athlete part of it, you know, they need time to recover physically and mentally. We think that they need even more. So this is very challenging with 
collegiate athletes balancing school, you know, sometimes work and then training um, to get that sufficient amount of sleep. So napping for a longer period of time for them because they're not getting sufficient sleep at night is is important to try and make up for some of that lost sleep. For an athlete who's getting a sufficient amount of sleep, we would recommend a 20-minute nap um, because then you're not getting into the deeper stages of sleep where, as you mentioned, you wake up feeling groggy um, and it takes you a while to get out of that grogginess. So a 15 to 20-minute power nap, set your alarm for 30 minutes. If you wake up before your alarm, definitely get up and then more of a, a longer nap potentially maybe one time a week, do more of a 90 minute nap, setting your alarm a little bit longer than that to give you a little bit of time to fall asleep. Totally. And I think, I think a lot of people are familiar with the concept of sleep stages. Uh, can you tell us a little bit more about that and why it's important to get continuous sleep if possible? Mm -hmm. So yeah, um, I, we have two different types of sleep sleep stages. So we have non-REM sleep, which is composed of stage one, which is the lightest stage of sleep. Stage two, which is a slightly deeper stage of sleep that takes up about 50% of our sleep time across the night. And then stage three, which is the deepest stage of sleep and the most important for athletes, because this is where growth hormone is released and where your tissues are recovering. And then we all also have REM sleep, so rapid eye movement sleep, um, which is where you're dreaming. We we can dream during any stage of sleep, but this is the dream that you wake up and you remember. And so throughout the night, we we go in sleep cycles. So we'll start in non-REM sleep. We'll work our way to a little bit of REM sleep at the beginning of the night, um, have a lot of our deepest stage of sleep early on in the first half of the night. And then as the night progresses, our REM sleep becomes longer towards the end of the night. And so um, interrupted sleep is a problem because you're, when your sleep is interrupted, you start back from the beginning. So you start into the lightest stage of sleep and then have to kind of work your way um, further. So continuous amount of sleep is really important. Um, and the research shows that, that if you compare someone who got, you know, let's say seven hours of sleep, but is being interrupted to someone who even got five hours of continuous, the continuous sleep kind of can trump the multiple interruptions occurring, which does not bode well for me with a, with right? an infant. <laughs> Seriously. Right. No, I think that may, yeah, that's, uh, scary. Yeah. I, um, what would you say for someone? This I'm just kind of reflecting as you go through this. Are, are the are the stages predetermined in terms of like how long they take? There are definitely there are certainly nights where I feel like I'm going into like dream state pretty quickly. Interesting. Um, can I fast forward? Is that a, is that a is that a known phenomenon or? Well, so you can dream in any stage of sleep. So maybe if let's say you woke up after ten minutes, there's a very 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 low likelihood that you got into REM sleep. It's probably a matter of you dreaming in a different stage of sleep, um, because the sleep cycle I didn't mention it takes roughly about eighty to a hundred minutes. Um, they kind of say 90 is as an average. 
Um, but again, that varies based on your workload. So if you had a really hard, tough day, you're probably going to get more of that deeper stage of sleep. And then your REM sleep will be pushed back a little bit. Um, but we can't really control the timing of the stages of sleep. And it depends on prior sleep-wake history, how much you're working out, even the amount of caffeine that you're consuming. And so the goal is to try to certainly for athletes is to try and just optimize the the duration that you're getting um, and also the quality and not worry about not worry so much about what percentage of stage you're getting, you know, and that kind of thing. Absolutely. So optimize duration. I think everything I've heard about that, like that's number one, that'll give you the best chance of success, obviously. Um, and then when you say optimize quality, you mentioned the blue light. What are some other ways that you can do that? Like what, what does your body want to fully jump into its rest? So I think having a good bedtime routine can help shift your, your mind and your brain to, to be more relaxed during sleep. Um, certainly trying to avoid caffeine in the afternoon and alcohol in the evening. So that's a big one with college athletes, um, that, you know, alcohol can certainly compromise our sleep quality. Will you expand on the alcohol one just a little bit, especially like, I think, um, so many people would potentially use alcohol as, as part of their evening routine, maybe like a nightcap to kind of ease into the night. What, can you tell us what is um, maybe misguided about that and how that might throw us off? Sure. So alcohol, alcohol, it helps us fall asleep very quickly. So it is kind of a, a misnomer that, that alcohol, you know, some people may think alcohol helps them sleep better because it helps you fall asleep quicker. But what happens is as the alcohol is being metabolized, it wakes you up more often and and also um, can lead to more sleep apnea. So sleep apnea is where you have a closure of the airway. And so what happens is the muscles in your throat, in your the tissues in your throat relax, and then it closes the airway and it wakes you up more frequently from that as well. So there's kind of a twofold um, problem with alcohol is that it leads to more apneas and then it also just leads to more arousals in general. So trying to limit the the alcohol maybe to one drink at dinner um, if you can earlier, but obviously that's not um, when you would typically have a drink. Just trying to avoid it as much as you can uh, will help with quality. Totally. Um, what about, so here's one thing that I'm really interested in. I like I can't sleep without a fan anymore. Um, there's there's validity to the white noise um, concept, isn't there? Is that or, or am I making it up? Certainly, there's some some research, recent research, actually showing that pink noise is uh, very important for uh, sleep quality. And in elderly, in particular, they found that they had a better memory with pink noise, and that's kind of mediated by more deep sleep with the pink noise. So the white noise is just all, if you think of white light as all the wavelengths of light, white noise is all the wavelengths of sound. So pink noise is just a certain type of frequency. And I don't don't know what it is offhand, but 
what it would sound like would be kind of rain noise. So it's more of kind of that pink noise frequency. Um, but no, white noise in general, it can, it can drown out any of the other noises that if you didn't have that fan, that could wake you up. So it's certainly, if you like sleeping with a fan, go for it. I appreciate that. I'm going to keep it until I find a pink noise machine. Um, the, the way I, the logic I heard about it, I live in the city and, um, who knows what sound is going to come up, but, um, what I've heard, and I, I can't remember the term for it. I thought there was one, uh, it's essentially raising the minimum threshold of what would disturb you essentially. So if it's like, a, um, if whatever the Hertz are at a certain level, because now because of the white noise that it would take an especially loud car horn to kind of, um, to pull the, the sound into your attention. Oh, interesting. I don't know if that's the actual science. That's, that's the one I've heard, though. I, I really should look into that term. That would make me way more credible if I actually knew it. No, that that sounds right. And, and I guess um, it makes sense that, you know, the creaks or the whatever, the air conditioning or the, the heater shifting or someone honking their horn uh, just doesn't enter consciousness. It doesn't cause arousal or, or want to be alert and you just coast right through. Certainly, yes. Uh, my so just so you know, if you do want to find a pink noise machine, so do you? Do you have any kids? I do not. Okay, so the the noise makers for kids now for infants and babies that they design have these different settings. So there's six different options where you can have white noise exclusively. You can even do a heartbeat, which is kind of creepy to me. But they also have rain noise. Um, and then like cricket sounds and waterfall. And so, so maybe when you come to that point, um, you'll be able to take advantage of, of that machine and, and utilize the rain noise. If my, if my child is going to steal my sleep, I will steal their sleep machine. That seems like a fair, <laughs> fair balance. Exactly. Exactly. I like it. And if anyone wants to try it, I just looked it up. Um, I've got on YouTube 10 hours of pink noise. I'm going to try that. Mm. Yeah, let, let me know. Let me know if you notice the difference. I will report back. Ambient sound blocker. This makes sense to me. I like it. All right. Well, kind of on this this note a little bit. Uh, is there any other work um, out there that you're that you find interesting outside of your own? Obviously, um, any other researchers, any other labs that you that you think are interesting and worth looking at? Certainly. So I'm a big fan of Sherry Moss. So she does some re research in professional athletes. And so she's really doing a good job of linking performance with sleep changes, which I think is really important because we can tell athletes all you want that, you know, sleep is good for you, which it is. It's great for your overall well-being. But what they really want to know is how does it impact performance? So I think um, research that is looking at interventions in athletes and how to improve their sleep, but also linking that with performance is important. And so from our work, we're, we're doing that with a few different teams that we're working with, and we're really trying to link that with performance. And so in particular, we've been analyzing work with speed skaters and found that as a group, those who did our sleep interventions improved their performance by only 0.45% 
which doesn't sound like a lot, but when you think of it in a speed skating context, it's huge. Can we provide a link to that when we put this out or is that in the process? It's in the process of being, we've analyzed the data and then we're working on um, trying to publish that within the next, well, I'm on maternity leave until January. So um, (laughs) after that, we'll say. I like it. No, we actually, um, so we are not on your level or Sherry's level, uh, but we are, we're doing a little bit. It's, uh, you know, our, our methods are far more basic. We're relying on self-reports in most cases and, and um, we're fairly confident in what we're getting. Um, we're looking for, you know, with self-reports, we're looking for trends more than like exact to the minute rest times, but we're trying it with um, uh, swimmers. Okay. Like speed skaters, we're looking for sports where, you know, it's not a basketball player or a football player. It is literally you cross this amount of distance in this amount of time. Um, you know, can we, can we, are there measurables within that? Um, and we're trying to correlate it to sleep. We are trying, I, I think probably, I, maybe once we're off the air, I'll, I'll run some of this by you and you can look and poke holes in the stuff that we've got. But we're trying to measure, uh, you know, we're trying to develop essentially some kind of algorithm or, or quantification of, of, Consistency, meaning showing up to practices, showing up to the weight room, et cetera, et cetera, nutrition, um, and sleep, and essentially how, like how those three interact, and hoping, and then we're measuring change over the back end of the season. So over the last two months of the season, including the taper for swimmers, um, you know, will the scores in, in column A, which is those three factors, match up with improvements, which are the scores in column B? Mm. Um, is it at all predictive and really people are like, why are you doing it? Well, pretty much for the same reason that you just mentioned, right? It's, it's just more compelling. If you say you need it, like you said, you can talk about hormone release and stages of sleep and, and, um, and, and you kind of want people to understand it and want that for themselves, but, but maybe they don't. And specifically when you're talking to athletes, clearly results are the things that, that are going to move them or so we think. Exactly. So actually, some of the work that Sherry Ma has done um, in Stanford swimmers, and it was a really small study, so it was only seven athletes, I think, but she found that um, reaction time off the starting block was improved, kick strokes were improved in swimmers, and a few other uh, other things that I, I don't necessarily recall, but um, certainly the perform it, it affects swimmers as well you know which is who we are working with we're going to try it and we're definitely going to come back to you if you're okay with that because we uh we're going to try it with power lifters in the spring too so we will uh we'll see all these things i think the idea with all of it is that um you know the way we view so like literally i don't want to go too big we'll start small then the way we review the stress of sports but really the stress of life uh, and, and growth in life is, is a very simple process of stress and recovery. And we're acknowledging just anecdotally that people will, people love the grind. You know, they're willing to stress, um, but they're not kind to themselves on the recovery side of things and maybe don't realize the diminishing returns that they're actually getting. That's why we appreciate your work so much. We're actually in the process, we're making posters for, um, to hang up around the athletic department of the school that we work in. And, um, we're looking for stories. And one thing that, that really raises eyebrows is um, the Guinness Book of World Records will let you juggle chainsaws. They'll let you, you know, all these extreme and absurd, you know, feats of, of human potential. 
but they will no longer let you deprive yourself of sleep. <laughs> you know, like like to to deprive a human being of sleep for for a certain duration ultimately is going to kill you. You know, and that it's it's startling. Um, but uh, yeah, that usually raises people's eyebrows. But it, I, and I don't know what it is. I'm not sure. I don't, have you noticed that? Have you if in your work, like how, how willing people are to give up sleep, even though it's so so essential? Mm-hmm. I think it's the first thing to go because we're all busy and there's only 24 hours in a day. And so I can eat right. I can have good nutrition during the day. um, And it's not, I mean, it's not going to impact time necessarily. I mean, I guess it takes you longer to prep the food and such. But when I get busy, you know, when people get busy, sleep is the first thing to go. And so you really have to prioritize it as best as you can and, and let some of those other balls drop, you know, um, and, and really try and get a good routine, a good sleep routine. And if you do have a day where you don't get as much sleep as you normally do, you know, try and make up for it with a nap or, or try if, if there's an exam, so let's say finals are coming up, try and get more sleep leading into that, uh, event because that will help as well during the sleep deprivation. It won't be as big of a deal um, if you have good sleep going into it and then try and recover afterwards with napping or trying to extend your sleep at night as m- much as you can. Because obviously there's going to be days where you do, you will have some sleep deprivation. Totally. So get ahead of it. That, no, I think that's a really good idea. And, that, and that's another thing, just again, dealing with the population that we deal with um, is the study stuff. You can't not study for finals. But, mm-hmm. but the argument that we try to make is um, that last hour of study, a really low quality study where you're probably retaining 10% of the information, you might as well get, you know, use that hour um, to recharge your brain and, and um, prime it for the next day's learning. I'm with you. And I think um, in athletes, if you think about that as far as like strength training goes and early morning workouts, I think it's the same type of idea is getting up at five 30 in the morning and starting a strength training session at that time going to be very productive or is another hour of sleep, you know, more productive and see if you can fit it in at a different time. No, totally. Absolutely. And, and actually, so we are right at the cusp of, and, and now that you've said that, we're going to push it through. Um, there's this, you know, we, watch, we look at social media mostly because that's where the kids that we're working with are looking. You know, you, you've got to pay attention to what people are paying attention to. So we're looking at social media and there is like rise and grind is such a hashtag. People taking pictures of their, you know, alarm clock going off at 430 and things like this. Like, like that is such a badge of honor in athletics. And I think we need to start a campaign of people taking saying, okay, that's fine, but um, let's start taking pictures of our bedtime too. Because we got up <laughs> at 4.30 and like 4.30 is cool if you went to bed at 8.30. That's great. That's an excellent night's sleep. Otherwise, um, I mean, sleep. De- we got to get away from sleep deprivation being cool in whatever way it has become cool. Yeah, let's start a hashtag for sleeping in or getting more sleep or something to be bragging about that. Um, and, um, you mentioned the whole eight thirty 
I'd I would really like to touch on this because we we have sleep pressure. So we have homeostatic sleep pressure, which is basically the longer you've been awake, the more likelihood you will want to sleep. And then when you wake up in the morning, you have a low sleep pressure because you've just slept. But we also have circadian rhythms. So circadian rhythm, circadian just means around 24 hours uh, in a day. Um, and so we have fluctuations and alertness throughout the day. And so, which can make it hard to actually fall asleep at 8 p.m. So um, we have to keep that in mind as well, especially adolescents who have more of a later circadian rhythm. So biologically, their melatonin isn't being released until much later. And so for an adolescent athlete waking up at five in the morning, um, that would probably be the equivalent of uh, a normal adult, you know, waking up at, let's say, three in the morning. And we would never do that. So you have to consider the circadian rhythm as well. That That's really, that's so interesting, especially, I mean, like, um, you don't know this, but but one of the department chairs is pushing for another early morning course around here. And and um, that this is certainly a topic of debate, no question. Um, I heard one, one of the most compelling things I ever heard on the circadian rhythm idea. He was a NASA scientist. And, uh, the, you know, the conference was mostly around education. But here's this NASA scientist who came in, and, and I think some people said, why? And it was all uh, to really hammer home the importance of sleep. He's like, listen, I don't care that you think you can survive on five and a half hours and a cup of coffee. I don't care, you know, all this stuff. He's like... I am a NASA scientist and I am telling you that every cell in your body is programmed to this, to the rotation of this earth. And until we go to another planet and evolve a couple generations there, this is how it is. There's no cheating it. There's no getting away from it. It's an absolute. So like cut it out. Listen to me. Tell your friends. Done. It was really, it was very to the point and, uh, and compelling in that way. It's something honestly though. If I'm being frank, probably only the last couple years of my life have I really prioritized it, and I wish I would have seen the light sooner. Certainly. I mean, there there's rhythms down to the very every cell in our body, so you can't cheat it. No. No. Well, anyway, uh, once again, I have to illustrate the idea that – or remind everyone of the idea that that's why what you're doing is so important. That's why we're grateful um, I don't think you can be a good athlete in either sense without taking care of this building block, whether it's, you know, and we use the word good in two ways. You can't be a good athlete in terms of performance. And I also think it's hard to be good in the community or, or, or just be, um, have a happy disposition, have a good disposition. Um, if you are constantly depriving yourself of sleep. So, uh, in, in all ways, sleep is essential. Your work is essential. And we're really happy that you came on. Oh, thank you. Thanks for having me. This week's episode is brought to you by Remind Recover. Remind Recover is a supplement that helps athletes support brain health. Similar to how you drink a protein shake to help your muscles recover after a workout, Remind Recover has been scientifically formulated to give you the nutritional building blocks to help support healthy brain function. I am a huge fan of Remind Recover. It is as close to the science as any supplement I've seen, and feel free to check out their website for more. It's remindrecover.com. And when you go there, if you want to place an order, and I recommend it, use the code GOODATHLETE for a discount on checkout.